I don't know, man. I don't know if we got a topic. All right, that's cool. <laughs> Unless you just want to talk about some stuff. <laughs> we can talk about some stuff. Um, plenty of stuff to talk about. I don't know. I think we will. Hey, huh? Go ahead. Uh, and when I was uh, just actually just on with Dr. Vibe, and he was telling me about a uh, new and improved Blab. What app is it? Uh, he's going to send me the link, but it's called Get Vocal. I could not find it on my own, so he's got to send me the link. Get Vocal. I couldn't have searched. Never heard of that. Yeah, me either. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't see it here. He's gonna have to send the link. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't find it either. Yeah. Well, it's not like Blab. I was uh messing around with um YouTube Live that has which has Google Hangout Live uh with someone the other night and just to test it out, see how it was going. And honestly, man, it was <laughs> it was so bad. It was so bad, man. I mean the 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 audio was bad. The whole situation was bad. The experience was bad. It was bad. It was like, it was as if, um, you know, we were sitting in, like we both had bad internet quality. I'm like, no, nah, it can't be. Because it's after hours, you know, people aren't streaming. And like, how is it possible to have um, this bad quality? Like, it, it, just, it was bad, man. I think you said bad about seven times, man. I think I did. It deserves another bad. It was bad. <laughs> it was so bad. Man, it was bad. Wow. I don't know. I, I This is fine. With Zoom. So what you want to talk about, man? This is leadership and stuff. <laughs> leadership and stuff. Yeah. You know, I tell you, I am. Uh, man, I just... This morning, I don't know if you caught some of the stuff that I put out this morning. I didn't get you to listen to it. Uh, so yeah. It, yeah. Every morning I I drop my I drop my daughter off at school and then I go by my retail, my retail business and just kind of see how everything was. You still there? I'm still here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So just kind of see how everything is. And you know, my um my wife and I own it together. We run it together. And it just it just really dawned on me these problems that we just continue to, you know, I hate fixing the same problem over and over and over again. And we just continue to have these problems relative to staffing and getting people to be productive and to do the stuff that they're supposed to do. And I just found myself coaching myself and the thing i came up with is I've, I've had the wrong perspective the whole this whole time and it's not my job to get people to do anything i can't you know because you know for my coaching clients i tell them you know you can't make anybody do anything mm-hmm. but yet i'm getting upset <laughs> when my employees don't do what i want them to do and i had to shift my perspective and this what this is what i came up with it's not my job to make anybody do anything. It's my job to create value. 
for my employees and to um, create so much value that they willingly do what I need for them to do because they feel invested somehow. Mm. And, you know, that same concept that holds true with, uh, you, you know, you're a parent, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you can't, I mean, you can't really make your kids do stuff. I mean, they'll do it because depending upon how you discipline them, they'll do it, but they won't give it their all, right? <laughs> but if you can if you can create enough value for them to where they feel safe, they feel important, they feel whatever, they're gonna willingly give you that stuff. And so that was that was my leadership kind of aha this morning where I had to I had to I had to take my own coaching. <laughs> Man, that's good. So how do you how do you put that into uh into action now? Yeah, so well this is this is this is new as of this morning, but it's it's going to be it's going to be about figuring out why they're there, why they are working uh, for me, for my shop versus Burger King versus McDonald's versus any other place. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes they're working for money, sometimes they're working for freedom, sometimes they're working for creativity. But I need to have a relationship with them so that I can know what it is that they're working for and then give them more of that. Because when I give them, when I, when I can create value, then the money doesn't matter as much. Yeah. You know, that way when, when McDonald's is paying 50 cents more, they're going to think twice about taking the 50 cents more because I'm giving them more of this thing that they need. I got, I got one, um, one girl on my team. And she's an incredible, incredible team member. And I talked to her several times about becoming a shift lead because she's just that good. And she said, um, I would love to have the job, but right now uh, I don't want the responsibility because I'm playing sports and I want to have the freedom to come to work when I want to work as opposed to always being counted on to fill shifts because of the, of the position. So for her, she wants freedom. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the more freedom that I can give her is going to be worth more than Burger King paying another dollar an hour. Right. Because she knows she can call me and say, Hey, this month I want to work next month. I don't want to work. Right. Right. Because that's what's important. And, And then for other people, it's going to be different things. And so that was just, I don't know, this morning it just kind of my own coaching came back to <laughs> came back to bite me. And, and I finally I finally heard myself, right? I say that to dozens of people every week, every month. Uh and I finally heard myself. So yeah. Wow. When you were talking about um building uh pretty much building a team and connecting with uh with them in in that way it made me think about a course i uh, uploaded last week uh which is about uh building teams and selecting the right team members um and i you know i just wanted to pull something up but um ultimately what i talk about uh, one of the four one of the four strategies i talk about uh obviously you want to select for talent select for fit um, 
follow a process. But then the last thing I, I offer is select based upon alignment, right? You know, the alignment is the sweet spot between what the person wants versus what you want and figuring out how those two kind of intersect to create that value you're talking about. And I'm not sure we spend a lot of time doing that. I, you know, when I talk to people who are hiring, they're looking to fill an immediate need that's pressing or something that's really stressing them out. And, um, and it's always about tomorrow, like the, the immediate tomorrow, not like 10 years tomorrow, it's about tomorrow versus you don't hear enough people talking about um, how do I create long-term value for them and for the business where long-term, I'm not just looking to fill a slot tomorrow, but maybe over the next couple of years because there's synergy between what that person wants and what I'm able to offer. Yeah. I mean, I'll have to check out, have to check out your, your, uh, your, your, uh, your podcast or your, your blog, but um, you know, you know, the reason why um, employers aren't able to do what you just described? Why? Because we don't care about what the employee wants, right? <laughs> and that sounds harsh, but when you think about it, we don't care and we should because, yeah, we should because to your point, if there's no alignment, uh, very, very real talk, right? Here's, here's real talk right now. Uh, I've got a store manager opening and this is the person that is going to run my business day to day that allow me to do all the things, all the other things that I enjoy doing. So really, really, and the person is going to be leaving in uh, a week and a half now, right? So there's an urgent need. And so the temptation is to just go get somebody that can work those hours and put them in, uh, get them fast so that my current store manager can train them. That's the temptation. But if I don't focus on alignment and fit, then I'm going to be, uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to be having this conversation again in another two months. It's true. Right? And it's going to cost me even more money. So, but see, I think that pressure, it, you know, if I'm thinking about it objectively in my own uh, situation, is so you don't have to stop what you're doing to train that person yourself. And I know what that feels like. And I think most managers, whether you own a business or you're just leading a team, you know what that feels like. You want to leverage the skill already present before it leaves, as opposed to stopping what you're doing to train a new body. And what I've kind of accept it is sometimes it's just healthy to just do it man because it sets the tone you know that it's coming from the ceo it's coming from the business owner and it sets the tone of the culture until you're able to create that overlap of long-term employees able to pass that culture down yeah yeah i mean that, i mean that's that's very real i mean and that, that's one of those things that uh it's easy to understand intellectually, <laughs> right? It makes sense. What you just said makes sense. But boy, when you're sitting in the chair <laughs> and you got the opening, it is, it is so different. It is so different. And that temptation is real. 
So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm literally, I'm caught in that right now, right? Caught between finding someone now and finding the right someone. Wow. I, um, I can't pronounce this guy's name, but the, the CEO of, of Microsoft. Do you know how to pronounce his name? I can't pronounce it either. Is it? Uh, I can't. I'm going to mess it up. So the CEO of Microsoft as of this recording. <laughs> and I, there was this one time he did an interview with one of the, you know, major tech um, platforms. And he had to be new in his role, at least within the first year. And the question that was asked of him was, what do you think your job is? Because at that time, you know, he was competing with trying to keep up with Apple. Apple was just killing everybody. iPhones, iPads, maybe the watch was out, uh, laptops, desktops, like just a hardware game. And this was around a time Microsoft still had their cell phone, but was contemplating getting rid of it, right? And he said, my job above all else is to And so you've been the CEO of Microsoft for about a year and a half. What's been the hardest thing that you've had to struggle to accomplish in that time? I would say one of the things that I have learned is as a CEO, what is your job, right? I mean, you sort of feel like, oh yeah, you know what it is and you get the intellectual side of it. But there is something that only a CEO uniquely can do, which is set that tone that then can capture the soul of the collective. Mm -hmm. um, and it's culture. Uh, that's why I'd like to even use that expression uh, that at least I've come to realize, and I'm still discovering all the aspects of it, which is the job of the CEO is curating the culture that makes excellence happen. And when he said that, I, I've never forgotten that statement because they were doing a tour of a store and they still, you know, they were looking at Microsoft products. And he said, my job is to curate culture. At the end of the day, I'm, I, my, I am responsible for setting the tone for the entire company, whether it's around innovation, creativity, engineering, sales, uh, relevant products, marketing, et cetera. And I have taken that statement from his interview and owned it, man, as a leader. curating culture, whatever the culture is intended to be. That's that's my job. You know, whether it's a culture of wanting to give your all to the team, a culture yeah. of uh, innovation and creative thinking, a culture of perfection is the enemy of good, a culture of coming to work happy. And based upon the course I was, you know, building team course, I just uploaded on Gumroad and hopefully you guys who are watching this can see the, can see the, um, can see the link to the course here. But, um, you know, all that matters, man. And you got to hire people who fit that, that cultural expectation you're trying to create at the end of the day. And uh, I, yeah, man, I, I don't know to what extent that fits into what you're saying, but it's just one of those statements that a CEO made that is just, man, hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fond of saying that uh, the great Peter Drucker was, was, uh, was not totally right when he says, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So I'm actually modifying Peter Drucker. He wasn't totally right because I, 
believe culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and midnight snack because <laughs> culture is everything. everything. He didn't go. He didn't go far enough <laughs> because uh, he, he, absolutely right, and that's the job of the CEO to set that tone to uh, reinforce. It's, you know, it's almost like I talk about the role of the father in in the family. And um, I, I believe that the role of the father, the father has literally one, one role. And that is to um, establish the guardrails for what is and is not acceptable in the family. Right? Yep. It's like, that's the one thing that a father is there to do because, you know, Fathers can make, you know, the fathers can be as nurturing as the mothers can be. But but my experience has been, it's the dad that says, this is what our family is about. And that doesn't belong in our family or that does belong in our family. Right. And I think the same is true for the CEO. The CEO determines, this is what our company is about. Yeah. This is who we are. This belongs and this doesn't. And more times than not, they do that with their actions uh, as well as their words, probably even more so than their words. But I, I, you know, I think I think he's absolutely right. That's that is the job of the CEO. Man, I, I but I, I buy into the to the adjustment you're making, right? A culture each strategy for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a midnight snack. And you know, it's been my thinking that when you have the right cultural standard in place, performance <laughs> automatically follows. Because it's not about having the smartest or the brightest. That doesn't get the job done. And even if it does get the job done, depending on the nature of the business you're operating, it may be done in a non-customer-centric way. To find that balance, I believe, it has to be with culture, right? And then other things are talked about, right? Hiring for fit, hiring for talent, and following the same process. And man, without culture, what is it that people are aspiring to? Because you can say, Galen, I want you to aspire to produce 10 widgets a day. All right, great. But once, what makes Galen want to sustain that or go above and beyond? It is not the number because the number is so finite. Right. What makes people go above and beyond is the cultural goal that you set for the team. And the cultural goal has nothing to do with numbers at all. It is not is not a counting system. It is not a system based upon numbers. It is about a belief and a behavior that we all subscribe to and say, you know what, I buy into that. And as yeah. a result of that, then you'll see numbers much greater than you could ever imagine when it comes to your work and productivity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the only thing that I, that that I would pause on what you that I would pause on relative to what you just said is I don't, I don't know that. I don't know that I would go as far as to say that results automatically follow culture because there's, there are several other things that you've got to do. I mean, you've got to have the right knowledge. Uh, you've got to have the right resources. You've got to have the right people that know how to activate those things um, in order to deliver the results time and time again. And then sometimes stuff just happens, right? But what culture does when you've hired for the right culture it, it actually serves as a protective shield yeah. against people uh, losing sight of what we're supposed to be doing uh, because they're getting distracted by the threat of layoffs or they're getting st- distracted by what the competition has just launched. 
Uh, if we've got a strong culture, uh, then um, people don't get nervous about losing their jobs if they don't meet their quota. Right. So that's what that's what culture allows uh, protects you from because you know the, the the best way to kill innovation and, and innovation is the heartbeat of almost any business. But the best way to kill innovation is to have people thinking that they'll lose their job if they fail. Yeah. Right. Yep. So you want you want people to feel not okay with failing, but uh, you want them to know that as long as they're taking risks. Um, in the in the vein of trying to meet in, 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 in trying to meet this goal that the CEO or some senior executive is determined that they're going to be okay, right? And I think that that's what culture provides. Man, uh, so I want to I want to talk about that. It's okay to fail. So how you know? So the question I want to put out there is how do you communicate that, right? Because I I'm a big believer in fail in failure. And if you read any of the, the good strategy books, um, innovative books, they will tell you, especially with the current culture we live in from a business and tech standpoint, um, a lot of the big businesses that have found success failed quick and often. Uh, gone are the days where you put together a long act, a strategic plan or a business plan and you uh, sit on it for a couple of years till it's perfect and then get it out and, and it's been like a long time and then come to find out the market doesn't want it. Today, we're in a culture where you are challenged to create something, put it out, get an immediate response. The customer response will tell you all you need to know in terms of whether you're going to be successful or not. And that means you got to fail and do it as cheap as you can without putting much investment into something until you figure out what the customer really wants. So, um, how have you created the, the guardrails for uh, creating room and the cultural belief that it's okay to fail as long as it leads to progress? Yeah, I'll, I've done it like uh, so many other executives. I've done it very poorly. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I think it's in the small things. It's in the small things that you do. It's in the small things that um, you try that don't turn out right. Uh, but then you've got to talk about it, right? You've got to share, hey, I tried this uh, and it didn't work out. And then I think you've got to ask two questions that um, I don't see a whole lot of executive asking, uh, executives asking very frequently. And the first question is, so what did you learn, right? Because failing without learning from it, that's useless, right? I'd rather you just not, if you're not going to learn anything from it, <laughs> Let's not do it, right? right. And now I got a problem. We're making an example. So now I want to do, if you're not thinking in those terms, if you're turning it back over to me saying, you know, and very, very literally, this is very real world. Um, they, uh, the team um, broke uh, some display bins that we have and they broke them and they didn't tell me about them because they were nervous that I'd get upset because they're relatively expensive. And the reason they broke them is because I didn't explain the best way, the most effective way to handle them. Right. I'm bringing that back on me. And so what I've learned from that is I can't just tell my team what to do. I've got to explain why. 
that's important. And now what am I going to do? Now I'm explaining why. And I'm trying to enroll them into something more than just mindless execution. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't know if that's the right answer or not, but um, that's what I'm trying to do uh, because I can't continue to break these, <laughs> these pieces of equipment. Dude, I mean, it's like I'm, not, I, I'm barely making enough money to stay open. I don't, I don't have enough money to continue to pay for stuff over and over again. So I would tell you what where I failed is being able to successfully convince staff to fail often. I think people have a natural inclination to pursue perfection. If you think about our school system, it's about a system of perfection, either A, B, C, D, or F. And because for the most part, people are shooting for the grade that indicates success, when they get into a professional working environment, that attitude carries over. So when you teach people to fail, because there's learning opportunity in it, that I don't know if that goes over well or if it clicks. And I've learned that because it doesn't automatically click, I have to intentionally show patience when they make mistakes, intentionally point out lessons learned, and intentionally have them present when I have tried something that failed and show them how I handle my own failures and mistakes to set the tone, to set the standard. Uh, Also, I would say that I've, um, you know, been present when mistakes have been made, talk about, you know, what we've learned from it and then re-strategize real time. All right, well, that didn't work. Let's move to the next one because I still need to get X, Y, Z done. How do we do it? This obviously doesn't work. And we saved ourselves a whole lot of time. Even though we we failed today, we saved ourselves months of work. So let's figure it out. Well, okay. Well, I was thinking about this. All right, let's try that. Like real time, go do it right now. (laughs) And then really challenging people to put put to work what they're thinking, how they've, you know, how they are processing. Now, the the challenge, though, is when you do that within an environment where people aren't used to it, sometimes people take it as a cue to just do the first thing that comes to their mind. And as a CEO or or a leader, your mind is moving a million times a minute, a million miles a minute. So you you can, in, in many cases, if you're a really good leader, you can hear a strategy, work through it really, really quickly, see the end result, and know what's going to work or not work. And your okay can be a misleading uh, encouragement to use the, the the next idea comes up in your mind to to do something, and that's kind of scary for me at times to to allow people to go through that in my absence, and I I'm not sure how to teach people how to forecast uh, decisions real time. It's like playing chess, or my one of my favorite games, Mancala. I can see moves two or three moves, four or five moves ahead before the next move is made by me or the opponent. How do you how do you teach that piece? And that's been my struggle. Yeah, I mean, so there, there's 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 a lot in what you just said, uh, but I, I think the 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 simplest answer. We always get into trouble when we try to simplify and oversimplify leadership issues. But I think the simplest answer is uh, probably the scariest answer, and that would be you you. If you're trying to, because what you're trying to do is you're trying to create uh, other leaders, right? You're, you're not trying, as a leader, you're not trying to create more followers. You're trying to create other leaders. 
Right. And so the easiest way to do that is to let them into your head. Let them into your head. Let them see how you handle situations. Let them see the, the, thing, the questions that you're asking yourself, the things that you're evaluating. Let them know about the choices that you chose not to make, you know, the, the options you chose not to go with. Um, and that could sound a bit schizophrenic <laughs> at times, but that's the only way to develop leaders is to let them get a glimpse of what it is to be uh, in your shoes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I think about leadership, it's easy to think about um, uh, politics right now. And um, without getting too strong into that, uh, I can tell you pretty confidently that the current president thought that job a whole lot easier uh he thought it he thought it was a whole lot easier than it actually is when he was on the outside looking in uh, because they're just there are things that you can't know unless a someone lets you in or b uh you're actually standing in those shoes and so I think that we do a disservice, we meaning leaders, I think we do a disservice when we go off um, into our corner of the room, work through all the issues, struggle with all the choices, and then come out with the proclamation of this is the strategy that we're of the path that we're going down because they didn't see all of that. Uh, and I struggle, I struggle with that as well, right? Because I, you know, I, I want to do all the uh, all the crunch work. Uh, off in the corner and they come out with the grand reveal and um you got you got you got to let you got to let let your people see some of the dirty work they got to see how the how the uh, sausage is sausage is made i love that and I, I will add to that something that i love to do when i let them see the sausage being made some people get turned off man they some say i don't want to be a leader at all nope some people are intrigued and I become on the fence and then there are folks that say, I want throw me in coach. So because of the, ver- the very, the variation um, of people that obviously that work for us, what I like to do oftentimes when I let them see how the sausage is made, I turn it into a case study conversation. So here's the situation. Here's the backstory. And this is what I have to wrestle with right now. What would you do and why? And it forces people to think. And I use an opportunity to say, nope, I wouldn't do that because blah, 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 blah. Or that's an interesting point. But here's the problem. When you consider this, 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 and this, this, you know, it might not work. Or, man, that's a great idea. But let me tell you why it's a great idea. And I try to give backstory. I try to give context. But that that presents another challenge too, Galen, which is as leaders, we we have greater context than our staff 100% of the time because we're dealing with environmental issues that come into come to our attention, whether it's external uh, pressures, external culture, ex, uh, mar- the marketplace uh, at large, competitors, um, environmental things such as ge- geography, how that impacts foot traffic uh, for the type of business you're in or even the type of business I'm in in a nonprofit space. And because we're constantly looking at those external things in our staff, they're, they're inside on the front line. They don't see those things as contextual issues that can hurt or bother or frustrate the business. That's what makes it difficult, you know, for team members to think like us. And I'm not sure if there's a solution to exposing them to those things uh, without overwhelming them or distracting them or causing them to um, 
to lose sight of what their true job is. So it's it's an interesting balance that I think there is no solution to it, you know, because you know you kind of darned if you do, darned if you don't type situation. Yeah, well, I, you know, interesting. I mean, actually, a week last week, uh, I traveled to Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> My first time in Des Moines, Iowa, I actually drove, but I was there to uh, uh, participate in a a structured facilitation process. And it was all scenario based. They would make up the scenarios, say, "Okay, you're part of a task force appointed by the mayor to do whatever. Right. And you got to come up with some solutions. Uh, But the way that it was facilitated. The way that it was structured, um, we found ourselves, all of us from all over the country, we found ourselves really, really caring about these solutions that we were creating for fictitious scenario. And several times the trainer had to had to raise a flag and say, this is not real <laughs> because we were caring so much. So to, to bring this back to what you were just saying, uh, I, I think you can still get them involved. You can still bring them in as long as it's for a short period of time mm. to solve this particular this particular opportunity. But yeah, you can't you can't bring them in all the time. They can't live where you live. That's true because they have a different role in the organization, and and you couldn't do your job if they're not doing theirs. But you can bring them in and say, you know, for the next hour, uh, you're me. You're sitting in this chair, and these are the things that you've got to contend with. Uh, you know, just as you described, how how would you handle it? I think you could do that from time. That's actually a really, a really, really cool idea because that gives them an appreciation. That gives them an appreciation for how the entire organization uh, works, and hopefully a better view as to how they can contribute, how they contribute to the organization's success. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, I hear you, and um, I like the idea of, of quick bursts of exposure. And for those that show interest or talent for more, that's how you find your team leads, shift leads, department leads, program leads, project leads, et cetera. Oh my yes! You know one one of the biggest one of the uh, the biggest fallacies that I've seen, and one of the first leadership principles I ever learned. Was this was this idea of the Peter Principle, and and you know that suggests that people rise to to their level of incompetency, and the the notion behind that is everyone continues to pursue the promotion of the or whatever they perceive to be the next level, until ultimately they get to a level where I don't really enjoy doing what I've got to do, and therefore I'm not really good at it. But I'm here because it's paying me more and the title is sexy and I've got this, you know, these number of people below me. Right. But I don't enjoy what I do and therefore I'm not very good at it. Right. right. And uh, I think we fight against the Peter principle all the time and it's more effective for you to realize this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm passionate about. And this is what I want to do. Uh, because you know uh, as well as I do, there are different skills that go into being a, a, a manager than you would use for being an individual contributor. It's very true, sir. Oh my God, they're, they're totally different. Totally very different. Very true. And 
what we usually do is we take our high performing individual contributors and then we make them managers. We put them in, a, we put them, that, that's analogous to taking um, the fastest uh, thoroughbred horse that we can find and then putting them in the wild with other lions. It's a bad idea. Right? So <laughs> it's like, they didn't have anything to do with anything. So um, I would rather have those people see what I do and and say, you know, I don't want to do what you do or have them see what I do and say, you know what, I think I could do that better than I'm actually doing what I'm currently doing. Man, I, I, I so it's so I need to repeat what you said, man. Your highest performer may not make the best leader because the, the, the skill set or the mentality or the emotional state of the individual contributor is totally different. I think in this course. Um, is it the building, the building teams course, or is another course I, I just uploaded? But one of them, um, I talked about the the transition you make from being an individual contributor to a team leader or a manager or a supervisor leader, uh, because now you're responsible for the performance of others as an individual contributor. It's all about you. It's very selfish. You, you ever, you went to college, well, obviously you went to college, right? So remember those college projects back in the day where you had to go work with a bunch of people that your professor assigned to you. And it's always like one or two people that just don't pull their weight. And when you find those people, you tell the professor ASAP, like, look, man, so-and-so ain't doing nothing. I just want you to know. So when this project come in, this grade you about to give me is me. And I'm going to do all the work myself because so-and-so ain't doing nothing. And it's that mentality as an individual contributor that people, I, I laugh when I'm lecturing and people say, I can't work in teams. I can't work with people. Why? Because don't nobody want to contribute. And that's the individual, individual contributor mentality. But I think a leader understands, um, and I don't know when that clicks, but they understand that uh, it's less about you now. It's about what inspires somebody to do something. Right. It goes back to the alignment and figuring out how to leverage that, put it to good use, activate it, uh, understanding the motivational words, actions that got to be executed with every individual member. And I would say and I was thinking about this as you were talking, I would say that uh, becoming a leader, you got to love people management. You got to love the chess of managing people the chess of people calling out on you at the last minute the chess move where uh, an employee takes advantage of time the chess move where somebody breaks something and says i don't know how to happen the chess move of oh i wasn't trained on how to do that the chess move of well i worked overtime how come i can't get paid more right all of those chess moves that people put out there big conversation this week actually (laughs) We do need to talk about that, right? And and we talked about the skill of being a manager leader. So if you took a a master's course, anything related to business, whether it's MBA, in my case, the MLD, you you take negotiation skills, you take management skills, you take accounting skills, you put all that stuff together. And really what you're learning how to do is manage people and productivity. From a leadership standpoint, the caveat is now I'm not managing productivity only. I'm managing culture. I'm managing for tomorrow. I'm managing for uh, the long-term stability and sustainability of the organization. So now it's not only about numbers and widgets and outputs. It's about what environment, as you started off talking about, 
can I create that would sustain continued behavior in a particular direction or trajectory? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I was, I agree with absolutely everything that you say. I, I would even suggest, um, because my entire book is built on this concept, that um, a measure of leadership has to be how successful is your organization when you're not around. Man, say that again, man. Right? It has to. It has to be measured by how successful your organization is when you're not around, because. Um, and that's leadership. Uh, management is how successful is your organization while you are around, while you've got processes in place. And that's really, really important. But if you're only going to do what I need you to do when I'm there, that, that's a problem. Yeah, it's true. That's, that's, a, that's a problem. That means I've got to be everywhere. As a leader, you're always trying to multiply yourself. Yep. You're, you're always trying to create systems that will, to your point, sustain, that will be there whether you're there or not. I, I, uh, I uh, had a, uh, when I managed my team on the corporate side, I used to say uh, often that uh, my dream would be to someday work for one of my current direct reports. And I would love for, to develop one of my direct reports so much that ultimately they are at a point that has surpassed where I could go and I'm reporting to one of my direct reports. And some of my shrewd direct reports said, well, I'd love that too. I'd like to help you achieve your goal, right? Because they want to be that, they want to be that direct report. But but back to what we were saying earlier, it's a different mindset. It's a different mentality. Um, when you're an individual contributor, and my background is in sales, corporate sales, that kind of thing. And when I was a salesperson, I had to love the taste of blood on my teeth, mm. right? Because I went out and I killed something. I brought it back to the camp and look at what I did. It's got my name on it. I converted this piece of business, right? And I had to have that in order to be a successful salesperson or individual contributor. When I became a, a, a manager and was trying to become a leader, the payoff was different. If, if, if I was still going out in the field, killing things and negotiating deals and, and solving problems with customers, that's a problem. That's right. Right. So now my payoff was when I would talk to one of my direct reports, when I would talk to one of my salespeople and I would share some concepts with them to, to, to have them change their perspective. And it will always happen like this. I would say something to them or they bring a problem to me and their, their, their eyebrows would be crinkled when they're explaining the problem because they can't figure it out. So their eyebrows would be crinkled. And then I'd share something to cause them to think differently. Mm -hmm. And then they look at me like this, they look away and then they look back and then all of a sudden the crinkle would disappear. Mm -hmm. That was my payoff because for me, that was saying, I've got that. I've got that person thinking differently now. That's right. And whether they followed my direct advice or not, the fact that they're thinking differently and they're approaching their situations differently—that is the same as the taste of blood on my teeth uh, when I was a salesperson. I live for those moments. So you brought to my attention another course that I uploaded a week or two ago: management, leadership versus management. 
and the distinct difference between the two um it, it's it's so critical man and you were talking about living for the taste of winning via the team because now as a leader winning is not dependent upon your own contribution it is wholly dare i say dependent upon the ability of those under you to win and win consistently Mm -hmm. your job now has to shift from being the one closing the deal to being the one coaching individuals on how to close a deal when they get stuck yeah giving them permission to mess up a deal, giving them permission to mess up their approach, giving them permission to um, have stalled results and finding pockets to coach them along the way to help them navigate through towards winning and give them a love for the blood, the taste of blood on, on their teeth or on their tongue. And, and when you're able to shift your measurement of success of self as a leader, towards the success of other people that makes a significant difference in how you approach leadership and now this harkens back to how leadership is defined leadership is defined uh, by the ability to influence other people yeah and if you're influencing them the question is to what end right for you it's to the end of closing deals not just a deal deals with the s and meeting a certain quota every week, every day, every week, every month, every quarter, every year. For me, it's almost similar closing deals or meeting quotas, uh, but our quotas are based upon the people served and how successful our clients are at meeting the goals that they've achieved and meeting the goals that our funders have laid out for us. Uh, but at the end of the day, that, that's what it's about. How do I influence the team to, to get hungry for winning and get mad when they don't win? That's what it's about, man. Yeah. 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 You know, um, so I, I, I love your, your, your definition of leadership. Uh, I played with that one as well a little while ago, uh, back, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, there was a measurement that most corporations were using. It was like the measurement du jour, uh, 15, 20 years ago, it was called economic value added. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they follow that now or not, but what they were looking for was, not necessarily the growth, but how? what was the margin between the growth this year versus the growth last year? So the delta between the two pieces of growth. So it was the economic value added that they were measuring. And so playing with that idea, I, I like you, I said that um, leadership is the ability to influence also said leadership is the, is the ability to influence more mm. say the first definition because i missed you yeah so the first definition is leadership is the ability to influence right mm-hmm. right and so yeah absolutely it's it's the ability to influence but for me it's the ability to influence more it's like i don't want to just get you to do this one thing I want to get you to do this one thing better than you'd ever done it before and thinking about it differently. I want you to play at this highest, this higher level. Um, you know, I've, I've gone on a couple of interviews uh, in, my, in my past and, uh, you know, companies and employers were always asked, uh, what's your uh, proudest moment in corporate America or in business? And my proudest 
this moment was uh, the company went through a restructure and my role was being eliminated. My team was being blown up for strategic uh, channel reasons. And it sucked for me, but I totally understood and it was the right thing to do. But the proudest moment was two people on my team got two level promotions. Man. So they didn't get promoted to the next level. They got promoted to the level above that. Two people on my team. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so, you know, if it happens once, <laughs> you could say it was that person. Yeah. But if it happens more than once, I'm taking that one. Man, I can uh-huh. so now see that you got me going on idea uh, of, of experiences. I had one of my many of the proudest moments I've had when I look back at my legacy at other places I've worked has been the promotion of people who worked for me, mm. major roles, salary increases, especially when I had nothing to do with it. You know, you, you try your best to. Um, position the right folks to, to succeed you and succession planning is important, which is a part of our work as leaders. But when you don't have any influence over the succession planning process, given the, the industry you're in or the department you're working in, and to see the same people you would have promoted when I get promoted, man, the satisfaction that, that I feel the, the, the pride. I, I had a chance to look at someone, someone's LinkedIn uh, profile a couple of days ago. And just to see that they succeeded me and then went beyond that a year later, dude, just the pride of like, wow, I had some part to play. But it gets back to, you know, the concept that we're talking about when it comes to uh, leadership, right? Leading a business, leading a department, and that is setting that cultural tone that this is the standard of performance I'm looking for. And I'm holding myself to the standard. If you're going to aspire to replace me, this is the standard. It's not politics. It's not who's my favorite. It is the person who's shown interest in doing this work and doing it the right way. Right. And those are the people, you know, you pour into, you want to give your all to. And when you leave, like you said earlier, uh, that the measurement of leadership is how successful your company is when you're not around man, what about when you're no longer available or you're no longer employed there or you sold the business or you've created several layers between you and, and your direct reports due to you buying new businesses and, and some of the same people who are still there still winning mm-hmm. or they won and win elsewhere. Man, it's it's huge, man. It's huge. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that that's it. And like like we've been saying, that's a different, that's a different makeup than the person that just wants to go out and convert business and they're great individual contributors. So that, that speaks to fit, which is where you started. Uh, that speaks to alignment. If, if you don't have that aspiration, if you're not wired that way, you'd be better off turning down the extra $100,000. It's worth it, man. Because you're going to be miserable. Yeah. On that job. Man, listen. <laughs> If you don't love seeing people win, you you shouldn't be a leader. So I'm gonna give you. It, it, we uh, it was we were in the uh, Atlanta airport several years ago. Me and my family. So it's a family of five, and we were waiting for um, the car rental to come up, which took forever in Atlanta, by the way, which is not bothering, but whatever. So um, I had this experience where we went to the counter. You can tell who was the manager, who who were staff, and 
what I took away from the situation besides my frustration of waiting over an hour or two with three kids and for a car that ultimately was too small. I keep complaining about this. Sorry. Um, was when the staff was handling the request of me and other customers, it, it went at a certain pace, you know, you know, it was like this. Then you saw a moment where the supervisor jumped in because the, the crowd was, you know, getting big and when the supervisor jumped in the pace went from like this to this right and and the whole point that i got from that was from as a leader especially when you transition from becoming an individual contributor to one who is now managing the contributions of many you never forget how to do the job you never forget what it takes to do the job so leadership is not forgetting how it's remembering how it's remembering the scenarios that you faced as a team member, but now giving game, spitting insight, giving logic, giving background to staff to help them understand how to do their jobs. The same job you know how to do. So whenever that manager jumped on to find a car, to uh, search the database, look at timing of delivery or return of vehicles or the time at which a vehicle is going to be cleaned and ready, she was, she was on it. She never forgot, but then her job conversely is also to see other people serve as many clients as possible, customers as possible without spending too much time doing things that are easy. And I think that if you're if you're watching this podcast or listening to this podcast and you're looking at making that transition as a, as a team member or a line member to becoming a leader, all those sexy definitions we've pointed out, they're, they're legit, right? They're supported by theory and research and everything. But I think a practical way, Galen, of talking about it is, man, it's not forgetting how you used to do the job. It's remembering what you did, what you've learned, what you gained, and sharing that with other people and wishing for them, hoping for them to win and get it just like you did. Yeah. I mean, all of all of strategy is about making choices, mm. right? And so when you, when you are a leader, you used the analogy of chess before, and I think that's absolutely appropriate. Because chess is all about strategy. Mm. And leadership, I think, is largely about strategy. So you may choose to do certain things, but you should do them for a reason, not because I feel like doing it, I enjoy doing it, that kind of thing. You can choose not to do a certain thing for a certain reason, but not because I forgot how to do it and I don't know how to do it anymore. Right. So that, that, you know, back to uh, the Atlanta airport, which I am intimately familiar with the Atlanta airport, uh, but sounds like that supervisor chose to come up and work the counter for a specific reason. Uh, It wasn't just because she longed for the days that she was back on the counter. right? Right. And I think that that's absolutely appropriate. So many times you find managers, particularly new managers, um, you know, stepping back into their role just because they were good at it or because they're the best salesperson. They're going to go make the sale because they're the best salesperson. Well, got it. We get to make this sale, but guess what's going to happen next time we've got a big sales opportunity. Congratulations. You're the salesperson on this role because no one else has been steeped in the fire in in order to be able to handle this. So um, you have to always be mindful of why you're doing you're choosing to do what you're what you're what you're doing yeah man well this was fun this is leadership and stuff (laughs) 
and stuff and stuff, man. There's a whole lot of stuff out there, man. Yeah. uh, You know, the the big thing I got from this, and I guess this is the last thing for me, is that um, leadership is not something that is designated by title. It's not something that you can just put on. Uh, You know, a a phrase is haunting me right now is uh, that leadership is a vocation. It's, it's a vocation. It's, it's, you know, people ask me to turn this stuff off. I can't, right? I'm always thinking about what's the best way to do this. What's the best way to inspire someone to do more? Um, and I think that the, the, the better leaders see leadership as a vocation. Man, leadership is a vocation, man. I'll, I'll, I'll echo that. That's it. I agree with you, man. 